You are listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with Rob Reed and Josh Galicki, bringing together the love of nature and photography. Episode 18, we discuss photography mojo. Well, hello everybody and welcome to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with me, Rob Reed, and my co-host, Josh Galicki. Hey, Josh, how are you going? Hey, good, Rob. It's been a while. I guess Happy New Year. <laughs> well, ha- yeah, belated Happy New Year. Happy I mean, we're into February. Yeah. So I have to say to everybody, apologies that we haven't got any content out this year before now, but it's been really difficult with work commitments and uh, I've been away for a week and, you know, we just couldn't get the sort of diaries together to to actually you know get something recorded so and we were supposed to do something a couple of weeks ago and I screwed up the timings um and yeah it it never happened so uh in amongst all those issues we're into February and this is the first one we've done for this year so uh, apologies again um but we do have lots of stuff lined up for this year so hopefully we'll um we'll we'll, we'll be a bit more prolific uh, in the in the coming weeks, so uh, yeah, watch out, watch out for some really nice episodes. We've got some, we've got some really good stuff lined up, and some really nice suggestions coming in as well uh, from some of the listeners. So thank you for those. Um, you know, those we, we've got two or three really nice ideas that we've got um, lined up. You know, some to do with guests, some that we'll we'll just talk about between the two of us. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I think. 2024 is going to be, you know, really exciting for the podcast, and yeah, it's be some really, really nice issues that we'll we'll talk about as we as we go throughout the year. But uh, yeah, so but what we picked on today, the sort of subject matter we picked on today was uh, really came about. I think it's something that that I tend to suffer from quite a lot um, is sort of losing that enthusiasm for photography, that sort of mojo, if you like, I go through sort of phases of being all enthusiastic and really creative to periods of, of sort of creative drought, as it were, and, and, and lacking that enthusiasm. So, you know, Josh, I, I think this is something that you know, resonates with you as well. So I thought we, we just sort of pick that up and run with it, because I'm sure that people listening out there, you know, they'll, they'll have an affinity with it, they'll recognise um, you know, they'll recognize the feeling. So I, I just thought we'd pick this up and run with it and see what happens. I have this picture of, you know, Austin Powers in the back of my mind now. We use the word mojo. I don't know why I think of Austin Powers whenever. But also, swing what's in, the other the swing in the 60s, right? Yeah, exactly. And the, yeah. <laughs> and the, and the fake the British accent. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was it totally awesome? dude <laughs> whatever he says i can't i've probably probably got that all wrong i can't remember it's such a long time ago you're showing your age josh hmm. i wasn't is. born then for what it's worth but i do know about it <laughs> well i tell you what before we get into it let's just have a catch up and uh and and see what's been going on in the world of josh since we last spoke, you know, before Christmas on the podcast, at least. Yeah, not not much in the way of shooting. Um, you know, it, it, duck hunting season is actually over here. It was over on the 31st of January. So that's great. So I'll start picking up and shooting more waterfowl here in the next couple of weeks. Um, actually went out not that long ago and got some 
kind of unique stuff um, at a, a local place not far from me where you could literally like touch the ducks and, and the geese. I mean, it's they call it the wall of shame, uh, but it's, <laughs> it's actually really good. So I dropped in there and got a couple decent photos. But um, yeah, other than that, not too much. We had snow and the water um, froze out back the cove. So I did some stuff. with I did some drone work out there. And I got some Bonaparte's goals, tundra swans, um, Canada geese, just mixed in with the snow, some buffies, so uh, buffleheads. Uh, but uh, yeah, a couple shoots here and there. But other than that, not too much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been away. Oh, I just come back actually, uh, which is why we haven't, you know, been able to get to, get together until now. Uh, I've just been away in Wales for a week on the coast uh, in South Wales, in one of my favourite places, uh, and we stopped in a in a cottage for a week which is literally right on the coast in fact i was showing it to you on google maps wasn't i before we started recording yeah. literally right on the beach so i can open you know be, have the windows open at night and in the morning you can hear you know the the tide coming in and the call of oyster catcher and curlew and you know all these other lovely sort of waders or shorebirds as you you refer to them um but so that was fantastic and i could just roll out of bed pull my chest waders on and just go and lie in the in the sand amongst the rocks. And I had, well, in particular, um, I had purple sandpiper, a really big group of purple sandpiper that you know were very confiding. So I could lie in amongst them, uh, you know, as they, they they rested on the shore. So I got some got some quite nice sh- shots of them. I had other things like um, oyster catcher and curlew. I didn't couldn't really get very close to. Uh, but ring plover were quite good. There was a really big group of those. Uh, oh, I got sandaling as well right on the last day, so that was that was that was nice to see. So yeah, it's it's really inspiring trip. I mean, shame about the weather, but it is you know it was sort of end of January, beginning of February, and it's Wales uh, on the <laughs> west. It's, it's obviously on the west coast of the UK, and we all know what the UK is renowned for, particularly in the winter. So there was there was a bit of wet stuff and um, yeah, a bit of cloud, but but actually did quite well considering the you know the, the weather conditions so uh, yeah sort of just going through those images now and i think i took about eight thousand or something yeah stupid. that's you know the 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 glory of the z9 and the uh frames per second there so yeah you, that's you that's the trouble well the thing is it's like when you're shooting with with it you don't want to take it off 20 frames a second because you never know when something's going to happen yeah that you you know you're going to want to choose from as many pictures as you can get from a sequence uh, but the problem with that is that even when you're taking sort of stationary birds, if you like, they're just, you know, resting or whatever. Yeah, you're just taking 20 frames of them a second. Um, yeah, so, and, yeah. And I don't know stupid. about you, Rob, but like when I use photo mechanic, when I'm calling, especially those stationary portrait type things, I'm comparing, okay, what's the best shot out of these five images? And it's all the exact same image because it happens so fast. And I'm like, what am I doing? Just, just five. Just one and move on. <laughs> for, for me, it's, what's the best frame out of these 200 pictures? <laughs> <laughs> Better to have that problem, I, I guess, than not having the shot, right? So, you know, yeah. I'll take, I'd rather have more time to call. And, but I think uh, that's the other thing as well. You don't realize how many you're taking because you don't, oh, you're not yeah. hearing the shutter. <laughs> and the memory cards now you can put, you know as much oh, as you man. want it's basically I, a rolling hard drive in there it's one terabyte well, uh, yeah i i didn't um i didn't take my laptop and and a, and a drive with me because i just thought oh, i won't take that many and by about day three i'd filled up both my memory cards so i'm back back at the house culling the images on the back of the camera going i need to create some more space here. <laughs> stupid i just forget 
I forget how much, yeah, how much memory it takes if you're shooting that amount of images. There's, there's nothing worse than that. I think you've been there. I've been there. Everyone, I think, who shoots wildlife often has been there where you come across an incredible scene, you're shooting, and then all of a sudden the card is full and you have no other card on you. So you have to go and delete the images you don't want one by one while whatever's happening in front of you yeah. and cursing your That's the worst. <laughs> and if you're taking 20 frames a second, it takes a long time to delete, yeah. you know, a yeah. few seconds worth of images. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, the, the, the price of memory cards, you know, you don't want to buy too many. Yeah, I mean, all you really need are one or two, as long as you can kind of yeah. recite, you know, cycle them out and back them up and format, and you should be good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm the you know the Z nine takes two, um, and uh, are yeah. they CF Express? Yeah, they're two CF Express Type yeah, B. I think. Yeah, the Z9, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Type B. Yeah, so it's the right speed is. But you, I mean, there are memory cards and there are memory cards, aren't there? In fact, that's a podcast we could do. Talking about memory cards, um, but uh, yeah, so you need something that's relatively it writes quickly, because otherwise yeah. there's no point in having twenty frames a second, is there? Because you, you're going to be hitting that buffer right. before you know it. Yeah, the read and write speed are really important. You know, I've been buying, I've got lucky. I mean, Delkin. I always buy Delkin, and it's been many years I've been using Delkin. They're not the most expensive, but the read and write speed on them, I think, is uh, awesome. Yeah, superior. Yeah, and I. Knock on wood, no failures yet with Delkin. So I've stuck to them. There's a lot of other brands out there now, Wise, WISE, and some that are cheaper. I just, I get nervous. So I, I've just yeah. stuck with Delkin. I forget which ones I bought. I'll have to look it out, but they've been pretty good. They've been pretty reliable. Pro, so ProGrade is pretty good too. ProGrade, that's it. Yeah, yeah, ProGrade. Yeah. Those I are the ones I, I bought. Former Lexar, I think they used to be Lexar. People who were in Lexar started ProGrade, or yeah. I don't know what the story is there, but they're, they're pretty decent too. Yeah, they're, in fact, they're cheaper than the Delkins, and they're, and uh, the write speed is. I haven't had any problem with the write speed, and I haven't had any problem with reliability. Touch wood. You know what's going to happen now. Now I've said that, but hey, <laughs> we, we'll see. Anyway, so that was a really good trip, and it kind of sparked my. Or, you, you brought know, back your brought, mojo. Brought back my mojo, because I have to say, I think it's. I'm not sure whether it's it's. It's an artistic thing because um, I, I think it's not just limited to photography, but hopefully people will sort of get what I'm saying here and understand what I'm saying here. When I, that feeling that when you go out, something you just it, it's it's really difficult to get motivated to take pictures at times, and I you know you just don't want to take the camera out of the bag. You don't really want to go out. You're not feeling very inspired, and I, so you're going through this sort of period of drought. Uh, and I guess, you know, same could be said for artists, uh, musicians, you know, sports people. Even, you know, I was thinking about this as, you know, before we came on air, and I was right, just writing a few notes for myself. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit like a, an elite athlete or elite sportsman, who, you know, I don't know, maybe you're playing soccer or something like that, and and you're a you know you're a striker, and you just you know you know that the that world class strikers go through these periods where they're not scoring any goals, and then it sort of breeds this this uh, I don't know this lack of confidence starts coming in, and then you just get in this sort of this vicious sort of circle which you have to break out of. Uh, and then all of a sudden they'll score a fantastic goal and then they're away again and they're, you know, they're scoring, you know, at will. 
So it's it's a state of mind. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's I, I like the sports analogy you're talking about, Rob, because I think photography it's all about momentum. Just like a lot of sports, you know. For me, I I'll go on these streaks where I'm really hot. I'm shooting a lot. I'm getting some great stuff, and then there's you know the the trough, right? And that's you know kind of what we're talking about. So I think it's. It's very momentum based. It's it's a, it's a good sports analogy because you know we'll have a couple of months where, wow, we're getting incredible images consistently, and then it's like, oh, I haven't had a good shoot, and you know, you know, so long after that. So there's highs and lows. Yeah, the weather's crappy. I can't be bothered to go out. It's mm -hmm. you know, but we all know there's always something to shoot in every weather condition that we that we get. So when you're feeling inspired and you, you know, you've had a couple of good shoots and you, you feel like you're on top of your game, it doesn't matter what the weather's doing. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll take something somewhere because you want to be out. But when you go through these sort of periods of, uh, you know, where you're lacking this sort of inspiration and this drive, it's, it's really difficult to get yourself out of that place. Uh, you know, I mean, how, how do you, when you find yourself in that, in that place how do you go about trying to get yourself out of it yeah that's a good question you know i thought about this before we started the podcast too i was just thinking you know what because i do have my ups and downs and lose my mojo and have to regain it per se and i thought like what what's the reason for that you know you know I've, i thought a little bit about it and lately for me it's all about um what what's what are the chances what's the is there a high likelihood i'm going to get good shots in this um session meaning if i get up i know i have to drive maybe 40 minutes 45 minutes an hour to get where i want to get i need to get there before the sun comes up probably because you want to be there for the best light so that means i got to go to bed early get up early and do i have a chance in hell of even getting a shot and if if it's high risk, some recently I'm like, you know what, the heck with it. Why do I need to do this? I'm going to drive. I'm not going to have anything on my memory card. So it, it I I don't feel as inspired to do that. And then probably what I'll do is I'll shoot locally. You know, out back. I'll take the kayak out in the evening. I'll wait for the you know. So so I, I a lot of it is motivational for me in terms of okay. But if I know I'm going to drive an hour and I have there's a bunch of shots I'm going to get. There's subjects that are almost guaranteed. I'm more likely to do it. So that's been a that's been a pretty strong factor for me in terms of, you know, is it worth? Because I think same for you, Rob. Same here for me. Unless I'm shooting, you know, in my backyard, it, you have to drive, whether it's a half hour, forty five minutes, sometimes yeah. a couple of hours. Right? Sometimes I'll drive two, three hours just for a shoot, and you know, there's that commitment, and it's great, but nothing's guaranteed on the other side. Of course, it's wildlife. Nothing's really ever guaranteed, but the chances. Um, of success sometimes are higher than others. And that's been a motivational factor for me. Do I want to put all this time and effort, gas, get on, getting up early, going to bed early and not have a chance and have a very low chance of finding a long-eared owl, for instance, and getting a shot, right? So yeah. um, that's been driving a lot of my choices recently. Do you find that, you know, as you sort of progress as a wildlife photographer and you, you develop your style, these periods come around more frequently uh and is it as as i think we, we were just sort of discussing before we started recording is it down to the fact that you've sort of come from this sort of i mean i get i guess bird on a stick style of literal photography where you've done that for a while 
and there's there's no point in taking another picture of you know a mallard or you know a, a swan in that same way because you've got a you've got a million pictures of them so you're looking for different ways to photograph them and the longer you spend doing it and the the, the you know the, the longer that journey the more you've got to start thinking of new ideas and and you start drying up a little bit you know yeah. so you you you're not taking that bird on a stick style image anymore i mean i guess we all still do but less that's, and less that's so 20 frames a second. <laughs> at 20 frames a second yeah i, I got, got a cull yeah thousands of pictures of bird on a stick it, it's not where i want to be as a yeah. photographer it's not what i want to be doing so i've got to keep thinking of fresh and new ways to approach subjects yeah. and sometimes that can be a, a little difficult because you don't i i just don't want to look at another image of a coot on a golden misty lake in the morning because I've I've done it like a million times. I've got to look for something else to do with with those species that are that are local and accessible to me. I've got to think of something new. And that that yeah. becomes increasingly difficult. So Absolutely. Think- and you're right, Rob, too. Like a lot of people think, okay, well the coot floating on the water front lit is kind of a boring shot after so many years because you've seen it a coop backlit even with mist or whatever yeah that's not but that's been done too compositionally that's also a pretty weak image it's like all the lights there and that's about it so it doesn't have a lot going for it um but yeah i i totally agree with you these areas that i shoot in that we all shoot in because they're local and they're known to us we go over and over again things become redundant and when things become redundant they get boring and you want to improve upon that you're looking for different situations that wall of shame place i told you about for photographing ducks it's easy you lay down and you get these shots of canvas backs widgeon just floating right by snap oh wow years ago it's like oh look what i got you know and that doesn't cut it anymore so when i was there i was trying there was like this old sewage pipe that was rusty i was trying to get some gritty shots and you know compositionally more complex frames and because you try to when you do that, you come out with a lot less and that's fine. So if I shoot a couple thousand images, if I get one or two shots I can process, I'm happy with that. Years ago, I would probably process 40 or 50 shots. And some, and most of the stuff was, like you said, bird on the stick, more literal, more redundant. I was happy with it at the time, but that's where I was in my journey, right? We're all moving somewhere photographing. Yeah. All all those images are repetitive. They're just you know, yeah. slightly different angle of the same thing. And I'm, I mean, I'm like you now that I came back from Wales with, I mean, I, I said, uh, this wasn't a, this wasn't a shoot. You know, this was just, they were, it, it, photography was like a byproduct of, of the trip because it was myself and Jennifer just having a break, you know, with, with Sky and just, just chilling out and walking. And, but it just so happened that I could roll out of bed in the morning and I said, put on the chest waders and go and sit amongst shorebirds for, you know, an hour or two, um, you know, before breakfast, which was, which was fabulous. So I've come away with, I don't know, about 8,000 or 9,000 images. And as you say, if I have half a dozen, maybe that I process out of that, that I'm really happy with, I'm, I'm happy with that, that ratio, you know, cause <laughs> let's, let's face it, you know, I've got 500 pictures of the same. <laughs> you have to be more deliberate, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you do. So it, it you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm happy, but for me, it's, it's, it's spending time like that and actually appreciating nature more, I think, which gives me the inspiration to want to try and 
portray it and do it justice, you know, and portray it to other people in an inspiring and and an interesting way. And uh, again, we were chatting before we started recording, and it, you know, purple sandpiper is not a bird I've photographed before. Well, certainly not very well because I've never never really got that close to them. Mm. Uh, but we had a really big um, group of purple sandpiper that you know every morning they'd be there foraging and resting on the on the rocks, and they're quite confiding, you know. So I could crawl up, you know, take twenty minutes to crawl up to them, and they'd be like ten feet away, and they were quite happy with. Me. They knew I was there. They were looking at me. Uh, but they were quite happy. They were tucking their heads under their wings and closing their eyes, and they're completely relaxed. And I had to put the camera down and just just sit and soak up that atmosphere and that experience and think, how lucky am I to be lying on this beach where nobody else is around and I can just enjoy this? You, you, this it, It's just something that you can't buy. It's just yeah. the most amazing thing. And that, I think, is what inspires me. Because then you think, actually, I, one, I want a memory of, of this experience beyond simply, you know, the electrical charges in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> and how long, and how long those are going to keep working, I don't know. Yeah, um, and that helps you appreciate it, right, Rob? I mean, more yeah. than just showing up and it's all about the, the photo. I mean, you being there on the beach are you going to get the most original purple sandpiper image? If I fly to Yellowstone, am I going to get the most original? You know, so a lot of that it ultimately comes down to is the experience, you know, meaningful, you know, and are you bonding with nature? I know that sounds cliche, but I, I think it's really important. And that helps, you know, inspire us as photographers more so than just being like, I have to get there. I want to get this shot and I'm going to get this shot when it's all planned out. Um, and you're not living in the moment and you're not taking in the experience, it's not as joyful. It really isn't. And I think that comes across in the images you take. Hmm. You know, I think if you actually you're feeling an affinity with with the place that you're in and the animals that you're amongst, I think that that then comes out. And if, and if you're allowing yourself to fully immerse yourself in the experience and enjoy it, I think that comes out in the in the photos that you take. I mean, the weather wasn't, wasn't brilliant as i think i've already alluded to and you know what those dull conditions are like i mean they're great for capturing detail because you haven't got the harsh highlights and the contrast to deal with but they can be pretty bland and colorless particularly if you've got a bird like purple sandpiper which isn't the brightest thing it's a it, it's a lovely bird but it's it hasn't got the bright colors you know to to add that interest to the frame when everything else is dull. So I was trying to uh, introduce an element of color and interest. And in the end, I, I use seaweed, mm. you know, out of focus seaweed to try and bring in a little bit of warmth and, you know, a bit of interest into the frame. So actually I found that quite, uh, you know, that puzzle to unpick that puzzle and create something reasonable with fairly bland conditions and a reasonably, I don't want to call them black because they're not, but you know what I mean? They're sort of this sort of bluish gray type plumage to them. And they're not, mm -hmm. you know, they're not the bright colors of the warblers or the, you know, some of the, um, some of the waterfowl that you get, you know, they're, they're fairly, you know, they, 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 it's designed to, you know, camouflage them amongst the rocks that they're resting in. So yeah. they're going to, you know, they're going to look similar to their surroundings. So how do you then create an image that, focuses on the bird and adds a little bit more interest and color you know in in the frame and that was quite difficult but i found i, I like the challenge of that
you know, that was, to me, that was something different to what I would normally find myself doing. So mm. I think that that's the thing that, that inspires me is when I can, when I can work somewhere that I've got different challenges, I guess, than I have in, in some of the other areas that, that, that I'm used to. And I enjoy that. And I think that's, that's probably where it's not, you're not getting complacent with things if you're shooting in the same places over and over again, but you, there's only so many things, new things you can try with subjects and locations that you shot at a lot. I think, mm -hmm. you know, new locations for me, you talk, talk about someone like Shetland, obviously we've chatted about on the podcast before, and we obviously both went to last summer. You can't help but be blown away and inspired by that place. But it's it's not just the landscape, it's not just the whole feel of it. It's it's the wildlife itself and that and that I I guess that that when you first experience something like that and a place like that, it makes an impression. And I think that is is what drives the inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think that's right. And you know, being in the moment, being inspired that's the opposite, I think, of an, the extreme approach you could take where, and I've seen this with competitive shooters, where everything is about, okay, I got to get the best image. Everything's planned. And it's you're not in the moment, you're not inspired, and you have all these expectations set up. And if you don't meet those expectations, you're devastated, right? I, I've seen that with photographers. And you know, I was like that too, even some years ago, where I would go to a place, and if it didn't go according to plan, I didn't get what I wanted, I'd be like, oh, this stinks. Why did I come all this way? I thought I was going to get this. And you beat yourself up. So I think if, if you're too serious about it and you're overly competitive and you set these unrealistic expectations, you're going to get burned out quickly and you're definitely going to stop shooting or you're going to not want to, you know, um, so a lot of it's just about, I know it sounds, it's about feeling, it's just about being there and, you know, being one and, you know, appreciating what's around you and knowing that, whatever nature gives you, it gives you, right? You, you can't predict this stuff. And sometimes you get incredible moments in front of the lens sometimes not so incredible, but, but, but all in all it's, you know, it's still the same thing. I mean, you're out there, um, you're spending time outside, you're, you're, you're being, you know, you're in the moment and you've got a camera. There's nothing better than that. Uh, yeah. You have I to think it's, that. I think it's fully appreciating, you know, those moments, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. There's a lot to yeah. be said for that. But do you think also that uh, talking when you were talking about being disappointed at times when things don't go to plan because you've got all these expectations, do you think that's a result of a lot of peer pressure uh, for your own work when you see so many inspiring images on social media and competitions that obviously we, we've been involved in um, and you, you feel this sort of pressure? to constantly produce something new, something fresh, uh, something that, that sort of is keeping up with the Joneses, if you like, uh, in the of the photography world, you know, when you see all this inspiring stuff. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, I, I'm not sure that's at the, it's at the forefront of it for me, but it's part of it. And also too, if you're making a huge financial investment to go somewhere, you want that investment to pay off. I'll give a good example. We went to uh, a couple of years ago, this was before the pandemic. We're in Kenya. We're in Samburu. Uh, so we're driving around. We had this driver and he was nice, but um, he just took his time and was really slow. And 
you know, I'm like, okay, that's fine. This is, you know, this is the culture and this is kind of how things go. And I respect that. But it was near the end of the day, we had, we found a leopard family with a fresh kill and it was an Impala kill and they were bringing the Impala up into the, I mean, Rob, the light was stunning backlit. Um, the sun was going down and there was a local, I guess there, there was a local guide or whatever, and not maybe necessarily professional and the, their vehicle got stuck and there's other vehicles. So you're competing when you're on these safari drives, if something happens, you're competing for location because all, you know, everybody talks on a radio and all these vehicles show up and you could either get a great angle or not so great angle. We were there. We saw it happen and a vehicle was rushing and they got stuck. So they were probably a couple hundred yards away stuck. And our driver said, oh, well, I'm sorry. We have to go help them. It's kind to do that. And I was like, okay, well, no, do not move. Let them, you know, we'll help them in a little bit. Give me the next 10 minutes are going to be epic, right? Nope, drove out. So we're paying substantial sums of money to be there, right? So I was extremely disappointed. And, you know, so we went and we, you know, got the chains out, helped them get out of this hole they were in. But after that, we lost everything. The the shoot was over, right? So, um <laughs> Yeah. There's other issues at play too. Whenever you have a huge financial and time, because you know you take time off. If like for me, I work a full time job, so you know I'm taking annual leave, you know time off from work. I'm expending a lot of resources to get there. That in and of itself creates peer pressure because you set these expectations. Like okay, I'm putting all this time and investment and the money I saved up for the trip, and what a bummer if you don't come away with good images. So that that can also be a part of it outside of the social media. Yeah. Does that sort of um, uh, spark a, a sort of downward spiral in you in, in terms of losing your uh, enthusiasm for things over, for, over a period of time or can it, can it, it have it that It did effect? that evening. I, <laughs> that driver <laughs> did not want to drive for a long time, I think, after that evening. But um, well, yeah, there's always it, beer. This <laughs> <laughs> is true. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, it, it, it certainly can because some of those moments, because, you know, uh, we're always chasing that incredible mm -hmm. scene or at least, you know, I, I always have like this perfect, you know, scene in mind, the bird, the animal, whatever it is. And when you come close to that, it's a high, it's a rush. And then you come down from it and, you know, you're always looking for that. At least I am in the field. But again, it's just patience. If it happens, it happens. You can't expect it or plan for it. No, that's the one thing you can't do with wildlife. It'll just do what it'll do. It's like the weather, yeah. isn't it? it? It'll be what it'll yeah. be, and you just have to work with it. I mean, I think sometimes some of the um, some of the best images I've taken have been completely unexpected. You know, you, you come yeah. across something, and it just so happens that you get a situation that you know in your lifetime you are never going to get the same those elements are never going to come together at the same time. I'll give you an example. You know, you think about mute swans. Uh, I mean, the most common subject here, I should think, you know, the, and the bird that probably people start photographing first because they're elegant looking things. They're confiding. You get really close to them. There are loads of them around. They're in some quite nice sort of locations. Uh, so you know, a lot of people will start, you know, with species like that. So to get a unique-ish image of a mute swan is quite a difficult thing. Uh, but I had, must be about three, four years ago now, 
I was out looking for otters, funnily enough, on the local lakes to to, to me here. And oh, they're they are tricky things, you know. Talk about things that you can't plan for. I mean, they'll they'll be there or they're not there. We're there one morning. They won't be there the next morning. They're never in the right condition. Oh, anyway. And, th and then we'll see one and then they just disappear, you know, like the Houdini. You know, they're just gone. You know, and, then, and you think, how how did that animal disappear? Slip under the water and it never resurfaced anywhere in my in my line of vision. Anyway, and they just disappear. But so I was out trying to photograph them and, and unsuccessfully, I have to say. I did see them, but they just disappeared. And then uh, we had the most amazing light conditions uh, and a bit of mist. I had these amazing shafts of light coming through a bank of trees. And there were these courting swans. And, mm. and it, was like, um, it was like a stage in a, in a theater, the way this thing was lit with these shafts of light coming in. I'm thinking, please, God, just, just drift <laughs> into those pools of light. And I was lying down praying for this. And that's what they were doing. They're drifting mm. in and out, in and out. And then there's that moment where they, where they copulate and the male gets on top of the female. And it, it looks quite aggressive, but it's really not. And he pushes her completely under the water and his head goes under the water as well. So most of them are submerged, but then they come up. So they've got water dripping off their bills and then they come up in this sort of really nice pose together. So, that you know, the, the, the pose is mirrored. They're together. There's water dripping off their bills. It's backlit. You've got this mist and these shafts of light. And I'm just thinking, oh, don't screw this up. Don't <laughs> screw this up. Do you, you have to make the most of this? Uh, and I, rem I remember that the images from that there was there, but there was one out of this. I mean, I got a lot of really nice images from the sequence, but there was one in particular. What was just that moment where they where they came up and the water's dripping off their bills, and it's mm. I will never ever be able to repeat that mm. because it will never well, happen. Never, in the never you never know. <laughs> I I don't think so because it, you just never get that combination of elements, or it's very mm. very unlikely you'll get that combination of elements happening again because how yeah. often do i don't know how often swans copulate in a breeding season you know and how often will it be at that time in the morning with that lighting with you know and and them yeah. in that play in that in a particular spot on the lake it's just not going to happen and an event like that inspires you to shoot more right i mean after you I, I bet after that happened and you went home and you checked your card and you saw those images you know you're certainly inspired to go out and shoot more it's it's those types of events i think that re-inspire us right um when they happen yeah and, and as i said the unexpected things you know and, yeah. and i think that's that that's what does it for me and I, and the other thing that i try and do sometimes if i is i try and go out and photograph something different so come away from birds for example and go and photograph plants or go out with a friend and go and do something like uh, fungi or you know, say plants or, or whatever, it, trees or whatever it might be. I mean, I've had quite a thing for trees just recently, as, you know, as, as we've talked about before. Um, so I think for me, it's, it's perhaps just doing something a little different as well, photographing a subject that I, I don't photograph a lot or trying to learn a, a different technique. Yeah, that, that's a really good way. point because if I'm not feeling inspired and I decide to go out and shoot with a friend or a friend invites me to shoot, 
that actually gets my butt moving, right? Because it's like, okay, if it's just me, it's easy to say, you know what, I'm going to sleep in and maybe I'll shoot in the evening and I'll just let this one slide. But if you have a commitment and you're meeting a friend, there's more motivation to go. And I think when you're there and you're in the field, to your point, Rob, you feed off of each other, right? You know, in terms of, hey, well, did you think about shooting it this way? Or I think I would shoot it this way. So um, having another photographer there or a couple of friends shooting, you all make yourselves better in the field versus if you were just there. Uh, individual. Yeah. I'm mostly a solo shooter. I'll shoot sometimes with folks, but uh, when I do, like Kerm and I shoot a lot, obviously, and you know we both can kind of feed off of each other's styles. And we, uh, Nick Patel, we should, we, it was myself, Kerm, and Nick actually Patel. We just shot recently that wall shame place, and uh, <laughs> you know when we're all there, we make ourselves better, you know, because we, you know, we can compare what we're doing and feed off of each other. So I think that's a very rewarding thing in the field. And I think if you have a group of friends or a, whether it's that you communicate on social media, or you keep in touch with in person or get together, that I think helps keep your mojo strong, you know, cause you're, you know, you're, you're discussing images, you're sharing images, you're critiquing images and you, you keep photography at the forefront that helps a lot i've had that i've been blessed with that for many years now whether it's certain online groups i'm i'm a member of or or you know i just people i've talked to for so many years and exchange images that helps keep the fire going too uh, so yeah when uh, when you when you get some good feedback from something that you that you shot then that to me that i find that very inspirational i mean unlike you i, I shoot by myself most of the time because that's the way I am, you know, that's what I enjoy. But, you know, there are certain people that I also enjoy occasionally to go out with and, you know, share those experiences. A lot of the judges from wild art, for example, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, I shot with, you know, I shoot with Vic. If I, oh, not that she can do too much at the moment, but, you know, we, I've, I've been out with her quite a lot and I find her approach to things very refreshing it's it's a lot different to my own and i think that's i said a lot different but you know everybody is different every photographer is different they look at you know you send 10 photographers out to photograph the same subject you'll you'll get 10 different results guaranteed because they we all see things in a different way and i, I I'm, I'm with you i think you know occasionally if you go out and shoot with other people you you just pick up so much from each other. You feed off each other, and I I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. Particularly if you know if you're in one of those periods of you know where you, where your performance where you feel your performance is a bit lackluster, you're 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 lacking that drive and and that creativity. Then I think that's that's a good way to try and you know get a bit of that back. And it doesn't take much. You know I find that it really doesn't take much. It just it's it's one image. It's one experience it's you know a, a sort of trip out with a friend it might even be picking up photography books that you've owned for years and going back through those pictures and 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 trying to look for fresh ideas fresh approaches and just appreciate photography for what it is i mean i I'm, i don't know about you i mean i i used to i used to sh to take a lot of photography to sell through libraries and things like that my motivation was to a greater extent financial as well as you know a, a sort of a personal uh you know not egotistical gain but 
you know, uh, you know that sort of feeling of, of of well-being, that sort of that personal feeling of well-being. It wasn't only for that. You know, there was a there was a financial element to it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think as that's diminished over the years, because let's face it, you're not making any money <laughs> as a wildlife photographer unless you're in a pretty niche area. And we will get to talk about making a living from wildlife photography very soon on the podcast because I know that's that's been a subject which has been. Uh, requested quite a lot by people, so we will get on to cover that. Uh, but it's but it's very very difficult. And once that pressure kind of goes, then I, my focus over the last certainly over the last year or two has been predominantly just taking pictures for myself. Yeah, and not giving a stuff what other people think. Really, I mean, of course, I, of course, I care. I mean, I like people to like my photography, but it's not as important to me now as it was you know, two or three years ago, perhaps. Yeah, I'm the same way, especially with social media. I mean, if I put an image out and I, I, after so, after so long and shooting and having a good network, you know what a good image is, right? So you don't need Instagram to give you however many likes for that to be redeeming to say, okay, well, this is a great image. I mean, that really has no indication on anything, especially with algorithms, right? I mean, I just posted a chestnut sided warbler um which is kind of just eh, it's kind of looser in the frame it's just a shot the coolest thing about the shot there you there is some water in the mouth okay fine whatever so i posted it and it got like thirty thousand likes which is way wow. way more than i'm used to getting and i got hundreds of followers i have no idea why it happened it's obviously nowhere near um the level of quality from the images that were posted just right before and right after, and they got a couple hundred likes. So it's, you can't go by social media. Well, maybe somebody shared it or something. You just don't know, do you? It's yeah. David Attenborough, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Your mate, Dave. (laughs) Well, funny story really quick. Uh, There's this thing, there's a Facebook group called David Attenborough fans. I don't know. It's run by some guy. I I don't know where he's uh, based out of uh, maybe India, I think, but in any event um, it's this huge, huge following on this Facebook group. And of course it's not David Attenborough and maybe that's what brings people in because they use his face and there's probably issues with that. Long story short, um, the the moderator shared a great blue heron shot I took a couple years ago and it got like ridiculous amounts of likes and shares. And I sold, you know, tons of prints, Thanks to that. Everybody was messaging me. So anyhow, it was a little bit of a cash haul for me. And uh, it was a David Attenborough imposter, but I won't tell anybody that. <laughs> oh, great. It's, it's amazing how these things happen, isn't it? You know, and it actually, when something like that does happen, although, you know, we always say that, oh, well, I'm not really too fussed about likes on Instagram. But if something like that does happen and you do get, you know, lots of people commenting on, on an image, um, uh, I had that with uh, well, it's just a, another amazing experience talking about, you know, amazing wildlife experience, experiences and that being an important part of of the overall driver for photography, if you like, and, and, and the sort of mental well-being, which is another subject I want to talk about at some point. Um, where am I going with this? Oh, yeah. So I had a, I went down to see the dragonfly roost in Somerset. Uh, which is quite a well-known site, uh, and it doesn't happen this way every year. You know, it 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 some years is really good, other years not so much. And I, I've never really been that lucky with trying to see it. Uh, but last year, my word, it 
it was just the most amazing thing. I mean, thousands and thousands of these four spotted chaser dragonflies just roosting in these reed beds uh, where you've got one stem of reed that might have a dozen or 20 insects on it. And then you've got, I mean, it's a reed bed and it's absolutely covered in these things. Uh, and before they warm up in the morning, you know, they're just sat there still. And if you're there before dawn or around dawn, it's just the most magical experience and and seeing the sun rise behind them you get those lovely silhouettes of them and it's, it's just but you have to kind of put the camera down and and just take it all in and yeah i, I had a i, I produced a, it it was quite a difficult thing to do actually to to create an image which represented what i was seeing uh and and the magnificence of it and i i produced a i, I did a black and white vertical shot of a group on the reed beds just using the sky behind and just blowing it out and just using the shapes of the dragonflies and the repetitive shapes up the stems uh, and that got a load of likes so did well uh, you know it did uh, i know you've done relatively well in a competition recently haven't you <laughs> yeah um it was a uh, a shot i took recently by accident talking about accidental you know you, it was something that happened all of a sudden sp uh, spontaneous i almost didn't even have my camera with me when i was kayaking on this place and uh <laughs> yeah. yeah it was a category winner for a french nature competition just recently yeah. which is a pretty big bird competition the one you're talking about though rob i love that image the one in q potty yeah yeah so yeah close-up photographer of the year which i was a finalist in see that's the other thing i think about competitions as well if you're looking for inspiration and you know, you you like recognition for your work. Great place to to get it, um, and I, I think that can give you a bit of a boost as well. It certainly did for me. You, know, you think, oh, okay, it's not just me who likes this image. You and know, sometimes it's tough though for photographers who are growing in their craft, right? And they see the winners and they're like, oh my god, it's intimidating, right? I could never take that shot. How did they think of that? That would have never crossed my mind. Oh, I'm not going to submit. I, you know, so you always be wary of that because I know that deflates a lot of people. And especially if they're not selected or they're, you know, or they get an image in the semifinals of a competition, but it's not chosen. And a lot of these things can be deflated, but it's all subjective, right? And, you know, we're oh, always improving. So try not to yeah. let it. Uh, it, it'll have, I guess my point is it can have the opposite effect on people too, where they're just totally. Yes, I, I, I guess that's true. Um, and I think the, the art of competitions is though, is to expect nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's right. Just like the lottery. Because you'll be disappointed most of the time, <laughs> simply because it is such a subjective thing. Yeah, the odds uh, are against it, you, yeah. Yeah, the odds are against you. And it's it's. And I don't think it's any reflection, actually, generally speaking on the quality of, of your photography, because a lot of really really amazing images don't make it through because there's so much other, i mean you, you have no idea we've talked about this before but you have no idea when you enter a competition what your competition is you yeah. have no idea you know what's a good key indicator though i think if you're entering competitions consistently and you're consistently chosen for the second round or you'll get a commended or a high if your images are consistently um cold in the second batch or you'll get things here and there that tells you something right i, I think yeah. that's a really good indicator but if you want to win the gold or the top prize every time it's not going to happen number one and number two even if you don't that's not a good indicator on whether or not your photography is good no absolutely yeah and, and i said if you you know if you are somebody that um that doesn't take rejection easily then uh, perhaps competitions aren't for you <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true 
And, and you know, I'll be honest too, like looking at some of the recent, you know, well, wild art's a good example, right? And some of the other uh, photo competitions that are out there. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, I would say maybe even less than 10, like amazing photographers that are out there right now that um, they're winning a lot and their craft is just, I mean, they're, they're just the best of the best. Right. And then I, I don't think there's like folks right behind them. It's, it's a pretty big step down to the next tier compared to where yeah. some of these folks are at. They're at a whole different level and there's maybe like, you know, a few, maybe less than 10. Uh, you see these yeah. names over and over again and rightly so. I mean, they're incredible. I mean, that, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, they, you, you, I don't know what they, they've got and what they drink. <laughs> I know I want some of it. Maybe a I lot mean, of it's, you know, maybe they just have it. You know, it's a combination of being artistic and having an eye and knowing how to work the camera, you know, and, yeah. and, and having a, maybe a lot of it too. And we've talked about this in other podcasts, but just being imaginative, you know, daydreaming a lot, thinking about things and, um, being curious, you know, some people just don't have that faculty as as much as other people do. And no, exactly. And better uh, images. You, you, you judge a lot of competitions. Um, and, and I've been doing my fair share over the last, last year as well. Uh, not just with, with wild art, uh, which you guys judge. I mean, I, I don't, but I've been doing judging for other people and there are, there's an amazing amount of really good quality photography but there's the same subjects over and over again taken in the same way taken from the same vehicle in Amberselli, <laughs> wherever is which is a, which is a really good example of their vehicle wasn't that, stuck and they yeah, were yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, they got the shot <laughs> uh or you know there are well-known hides that you see the same subjects you yeah. know and it's photographed in the same way again and again and again uh but the the things that i try and pick out are the more unusual things the things that people have thought a little bit more about uh, and haven't just regurgitated somebody else's photograph that they've seen and aspired just to taking the same thing um and i think this is this is where i get into trouble with my uh with my mojo with my uh, you know is when i get into a point where I can't think of new things. I can't seem to get something new out of the camera, something you know, different to what I've taken before or what I've seen. And seeing so much photography and judging so much, you you do see such a lot. I mean, it gives you inspiration and ideas, but you, I don't want to copy. I want to create mm -hmm. my own twist on things. And it, it just gets increasingly difficult sometimes. Yeah. And what you're seeing in these competitions, I mean, we see it, you know, a lot of it's cutting edge stuff, right? It's stuff that, you know, I, I recall some of those um, competitions over the past couple of years in wild art, some of the categories, I, I saw some compositions I've just, I've never seen before. Right. And it's not only is it a great image, it makes you think how the how the hell did they even do this, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. What was, let me look at the EXIF data, what gear was used. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it can be very, very challenging. I know. I know when you see that stuff, because you, you want to be original and create your own style. And um, that's very, very difficult to do. But if you're able to do it, I think it's a plus. The last thing this world needs are more photos. We are inundated with photos. I mean, all you need to do is open up Instagram and you can doom scroll all day and see things that you've seen before years ago in many cases over and over and over again so if you're gonna if you if you're gonna share an image to the world you want it to be unique um 
and that's why it's unique. It's hard to it's hard to come up with. Yeah, something. it yeah. is with it with, really is. with this this age of mm-hmm. yeah social media and let's face it. I mean, we're all walking around with pretty good cameras in our pockets. Yeah, with our phones and and some of the pictures I see taken on on you know, modern phones just just amazing. I mean, a lot of the time I. I I won't take the big camera out if I'm going on a walk and I'm doing a few landscapes or whatever, and I just want them for my own enjoyment, if you like. Uh, I'm not talking about things that would necessarily sell now. Uh, but a, a lot of the time I just take my iPhone and just think, well, I yeah. don't need to, I don't need to, the chiropractor bill for lugging a whole load of gear around with me. Um, you the know, dynamic range is great on that too. I mean, oh, you cannot be incredible. Yeah, it's better than any camera that's out there. I mean, it's it's wild. I mean, I I'll do a lot of sunsets back here, and I always use my phone. Yeah, and I guess I guess I could obviously use my camera too, but more, more than likely, you know, I have to really bring up the shadows in the foreground or do a composite or you know whatever, um, or do a stitch, and you know, the iPhone, boom, one shot. Now, obviously, that's got its own limitations, but you cannot beat the dynamic range on that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't use it for wildlife necessarily, but you know, if I if I'm walking and uh, I'll use it for landscapes quite a lot, as you say, the dynamic range is brilliant, and it, I'll tell you, the video is just it's, it is good, it's yeah. amazing quality. You know, from this tiny little, you actually wonder, don't you, how they manage it from such a tiny little lens and a tiny sensor, how it can be so good. Yeah, it's, yeah, I I thought as these things progress, it would really crush the camera consumer market. But I just saw, I was reading an article, maybe it was on Canon Rumors. Of course, I'm a Canon shooter. Um, maybe unfortunately, now that I saw the Art 1 specs, if it's true. But yeah, I mean, I think Canon had like a record year just recently, you know, in terms of sales going up. So, you know, maybe I don't think the phones will maybe destroy the camera market. I mean, other other things might eventually do it, but I don't think... Uh, smartphones will at least in the near term so well i i don't think you you can i don't think you can replace the feel of of well for me the z9 in your hand when you're taking wildlife and you know the different lenses that you can attach to that and the different things that it will do the frame rates the autofocus the i mean let's face it you can't you know you can't take a picture of a bird with an iphone as you can with you know, the Z9 or the R5 or yeah, whatever. You're right. I, I probably yeah, made yeah. the wrong comparison. I was thinking maybe maybe it'd be more apt to say the iPhone or the smartphones would potentially replace like a Rebel, someone who buy like a Canon Rebel, you know, the entry market. Yeah, the sort of entry level. Yeah. yeah, so that I guess was something in the back of my mind. But yeah, to your point, I mean, it'll never replace. Um, although for video, you know, if you're out and you're doing B-roll or something like that, and I don't do video, but if you had a YouTube, I see a lot of bloggers and stuff, they'll just use their iPhone, you know. Honestly, it's, it's I shot a whole video, which I haven't posted yet, um, in Shetland on my iPhone. Yeah. You know, and it's it's perfectly acceptable. You know, you put it up on, you put it up on YouTube. A lot of people probably wouldn't even know. Yeah, that it's you know it's not a proper proper camera. Um, he says in inverted <laughs> commas, but you know the, the quality is just is is amazing and the versatility of it as well. Um, you know, just to have that thing in your pocket. And actually, I do use the phone sometimes to get inspired. If I because if I see something, okay, it's not going to be you know a bird. 
um because i'm not going to be taking pictures of birds with my iphone it's just not going to happen it hasn't got the range it hasn't got all the features that i need but if i see a plant or you know it might be i don't know it might be an interesting ice pattern or something like that i'll often take it with my phone or walking on the beach if you find interesting things like um feathers or pieces of seaweed or interesting patterns in the sand that sort of stuff i'll take that with my phone mm-hmm because it's almost story and get yeah, a shot. Yeah. Exactly. You know, in fact, I came I came across these three little periwinkle um shells in the crevice of a rock. And they were there was a a sort of yellowish, orangey yellow colored one, a, a very sort of light whitish color, and then a dark sort of brown colored shell. So they were and then there was three of them. Three is always a good number in photography, as you know. And they were in this crevice, uh, and the, the contrasting colours was really nice. And they were, it was just, it was kind of the perfect setup. So I didn't have my camera with me. I thought I'll take a picture on the phone and see if I can find it again later, which of course I couldn't. Um, but actually, that that picture is perfectly acceptable, you know. And I, I would post that yeah. on social media, and nobody would know it was an iPhone. Um, so I'll use it for things like that. We but, we uh, judge um we both judge uh and what is it in fo- on the photo crowd platform photo crowd yeah and there's a few images that I've come across I'm like wow this is really good and their iPhone Im- or their Samsung well, you know smartphone images and uh, yeah I'm like wow a lot a lot of them are pets aren't they you know people yeah. take actually quite uh, interesting and artistic images by using their phones of their pets which I always enjoy actually yeah you know when, when people have used it you know in a, in a clever way. And I'll mm-hmm. always point it out as well, you know, because you have to comment and um, critique, critique these the, these things that you, you know, you shortlist. I've just done a few, actually. So, you know, varying quality, but some sometimes you get some really interesting things and some inspirational things. I've just done just done three, group of three on black and white, wildlife in black and white. And that's been that's been really inspiring, mm. um, you know, because obviously we've talked about that before. But, uh, yeah. So I think I use all of these things to try and get me out of the the sort of creativity rut that I that I do get myself into from time to time. Um, any, anything else that you 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 tend to use, Josh, that we haven't haven't covered, or uh, you know the one the only the the other thing that comes to mind that. I don't think I mentioned before is actually printing. Like, all, you know, I have my own printer. So, and we're going to talk about yeah. this in, in upcoming episodes. You know, uh, just recently I bought a, um, it was a collection of frames, different sizes, kind of like a gallery, uh, kind of a gallery collage type thing. And I printed out some images, mostly local, and I put them up uh, on, on a wall here in my house. And I love that. I mean, when you print, it, it brings me back to the moment and it wants me to get back outside. Uh, again, I think that and we've talked a little bit about this and we'll talk more about it. But when you print an image, um, it, it, it's so final, it's tactile, and it's just it, it's the final product and outcome of being out in the field and capturing a good image. So whenever I'm working on prints, I'm framing, that inspires me. Because I relive the moment of whatever that image. And if you're printing something, it's normally an image you're really proud of or an image that you feel is high quality. You're not printing, you know, a bird on a stick image that you took recently. Yeah. So um, it, it brings me back to the good moments and it wants me to get back outside. So whenever I find myself by a printer or doing framing, that's that's normally a good sign for me. You can probably hear my dog in the background. 
<laughs> she always she always I, likes to make an appearance. I agree. I like <laughs> it's bedtime, and she always does this sort of barking at bedtime. But uh, doors closed, but she's 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 pretty loud at times. So apologies if that's coming if it's coming through on the audio. Uh, I would. Do you know that's a really really good point? I'm glad you brought that up because there is something about printing images if people don't do it. Um, I'd suggest that you look into it because I'm not going to put most of them on the wall, but I think it, you know, it's that, it's that the, the word you use was tactile. And that's exactly the word that came to my mind when you were talking about it. There's something that you can't, you can't replace that feeling with looking at an image on a screen. When you see it printed on a piece of paper, it brings it alive to, to me. It's, it's a living, breathing thing rather than being, you know, a bunch of pixels on your, you know, and and whatever on, on and, you know, bits of data on your hard drive. It's actually a physical thing that you've created. You know, you've you've taken the image and you've printed it and it's in your hand. And and I think there's a lot to be said for that. So yeah, no, I think that's that's a that's a really good point. And I I enjoy it a lot. It's just damned expensive to do it, it is and you know people people have gotten away from that you know everything's digital now so you upload it on your website or social media i mean yeah it, it just is a, a analogy i guess music i recently got actually for christmas i got a record player and i haven't yeah. i haven't um played around with vinyl records in many years since i was a little kid and i've been buying all these old records now and there's something about it you put the album on, you know, a couple songs, you, you flip the record and you sit and you listen to it. It's not, you know, hey, Alexa, move to the next track or you're on Spotify or you're going from one to the other. It, it, it's a calming thing and you have to be patient. And you take it in. It's analog, right? It's it, it's incredible. Yeah. It's got a great sound. No, it was, it was, that was an amazing feeling when, when, when I, you know, when I was young, I always really looked forward to that. If some band I like came out with a new album. I'd love going and buying the LP, you know, and, and it's, it's the album cover was so yeah. important, you know, <laughs> and then, and then sliding the thing out of the sleeve. And then, as you say, putting it on the player and then that needle goes down and you get that little. Oh, I know, love that. Sound. Yeah. And it's hard to skip songs, right? You don't want to, it encourages you to listen to the whole album and it makes you more as patient. it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Versus going on Spotify be and being, you know, one, at least that's normally what I do. I'm all over the place and I'm not really appreciating the music. So, and actually, the, 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 there was a real art to albums. Now. I mean, we're going off on a tangent here, um, but there was a real art to albums, wasn't there? That, yeah. you know, when, when they were printed on vinyl, because you, the two halves of the record needed to, to work together. You know, you needed to finish one side, flip it over, and then start the next side. It all needed to kind of, fit into place you know through that process and now you don't have that and as you say you can shuffle you can skip you can do all this sort of stuff and then and i like well you, you know spotify will just play stuff after you whatever you've listened to it'll just yeah. dish up some other stuff for you and quite often yeah. i just find myself just listening to that yeah but, uh, anyway <laughs> we we digress <laughs> Uh, Josh, it's been a really, really good uh, conversation again. I, I love these things. So we don't tend, as I've said before, we don't tend to plan. I've just got a few notes written in front of me. That's that's all, and then we just, you know, we 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 just do this organically, and whatever comes out comes out. But actually, I think we we, we do have some pretty good 
discussions and um, float a few ideas around and and hopefully you know you'll, you'll find some value and entertainment uh, in it as well so uh, yeah I, I hope that sort of come across in this in this episode so as I alluded to at the start there are a few things that we're, we're going to do in the next few episodes one of those is actually on printing we're probably going to do two episodes on printing aren't we yeah that's what we've talked about uh one covering sort of printing from home with your own printer and then two hopefully we can get somebody on from the uh you know from the uh, perhaps the, the professional printing world from one of these um printing houses that can come on and and help us um i guess debunk a few myths uh, and and help you out in terms of you know if you are struggling with preparing images for printing and are disappointed with the results then hopefully we can deal with some of that because there's a real art to preparing images for print as opposed to for screen it's a is a bit of a different process so um yeah th we've got those coming up we're going to get georgina on again aren't we georgina stateler because mm -hmm. she has just sent me <laughs> i was talking to josh just before we started recording the most amazing book she's just she did for the love of birds which was the first book she did she's just done for the love of flora which um celebrates the flora of australia and it is just the most beautiful thing i've seen in a long time it's got a lot of well they're all her pictures um so we, we're going to talk to her and i think the idea is you know maybe that sort of transition from bird photographer to taking on something new like like flowers so uh that's coming up um what else have we got lined up oh we, we were going to do kaiser and yari right with uh the kaiser and yari about um photographing in extreme conditions uh and also making a living from wildlife photography we're going to talk about that too uh that might be the next thing we record i don't know it depends on the on the schedule and we'll we'll get we'll, we'll talk about that after we stop recording josh and try and line something up but yeah talk about um making a living from wildlife photography which i know is a popular subject because it's something that's becoming increasingly difficult as time goes on and uh you know it, the wildlife photography gets more popular but uh, there are ways of doing it so um you know we'll, we'll get on we'll talk about that but uh, what's uh, any anything coming up for you in the next couple of weeks uh, just, just some local shoots. Uh, I'm going to try to get some sea ducks here. I'm dying to get some good scoter shots. So I'm going to, I'm going to try for scoters here in a couple of weeks. And before you know it, I mean, we already have early spring migrants, uh, red winged blackbirds are coming back, American robins. So before you know it, it's going to migration is going to be in full swing here pretty soon. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, all the, uh, all the songbirds are starting, you know, to, to, rev up their voices as it were uh in the you know around me so you can feel that spring is it's you know it's a stone throw away it's 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 all starting to happen so i must get my nest boxes up actually uh this weekend i bought some new nest nest boxes last year um, so i've got to find some locations for those around the garden so i made a job for the weekend so yeah i, I you know, spring around the corner well snowdrops are out uh, and well almost over actually um, where i am I haven't done any photography with them uh, this year at all yet having been away but uh, hopefully i might get i might get half a day doing that uh, at some point well it'll have to be soon because they'll be over uh yeah and then it's sort of really looking forward to all the stuff coming up 
you know, in, in the spring, you know, as I said, the migrants arriving, you know, the birds starting their, their courtship. You never know. I might get those mute swans again. Could happen. <laughs> but all, all that sort of thing to look for. An encounter. Yeah. And there might be otters around as well. I ought to to have a look for those before the winter really is over because winter's the best time, you know, to, to have a go at them. So, yeah, it's just for me, it's, it's going to be local stuff because I've got no trips planned now until till June. So, yeah, it'll, it'll just be a bit of that, I think. But, uh, yeah. Well, Josh, interesting discussion as always. Uh, thanks for your time. Yeah, uh, sure thing. It's good to be here again. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you've got something out of that. Um, and we'll we'll line something up again pretty shortly. And, uh, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll get a bit more prolific uh, in the next few weeks. <laughs> So yes, apologies for uh, for not getting anything out, you know, for a, for a while before now. But uh, anyway, I hope that's uh, that's been enjoyable. Uh, and thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to give us a rating, give us a like, give us however many stars you have to give us on, the, five on these star. things. Five star rating. Yeah. Give, a, give us a five star rating if you, if enjoyed you enjoy it. it. Yeah. And share it all. Uh, share it with your friends as well if they don't know about the podcast yet. And of course, you know, keep those suggestions coming in for future episodes because it uh, gives us some inspiration for, for, for themes going forward. So anyway, thanks everybody for, for listening and we'll see you all again next time. Take care, guys. You have been listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast. If you have enjoyed the content, then please help us to spread the word by sharing a link on your social media platforms, giving us a like and leaving us a comment. See you all again next time.